Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's program, New Zealand cyclist Greg Henderson finally gets a crack at cycling's great race, the Tour de France. Rally driver Hayden Padden relishes the chance to drive in familiar conditions in the Rally of New Zealand. Rugby League's international eligibility debacle continues with Auckland-born prop Sam Casiano, the latest involved, and the Silver Ferns coach, Wai Tamanu, discusses why she needs four assistant coaches this year. And we hear from the Phoenix latest signing, the Solomon Island striker, Benjamin Tatori. The New Zealand cyclist, Greg Henderson, will ride his first Tour de France after being named to the Belgium Lotto team for the Classic, which starts next weekend. Belgian Jürgen van der Broek will head the Lotto team after finishing fourth in last year's race, while Henderson will help the team's German sprint star, André Grippel. Henderson's selection for the Tour de France will also boost his prospects of gaining one of the two spots available for New Zealand cyclists for the road race at the London Olympics. Barry Guy caught up with Henderson, who was in a tent in Spain. I'm in Girona, Spain, but uh, you're currently sitting in a tent, altitude tent, watching TV, so I wouldn't say it's exotic. <laughs> yeah, it's been a dream. Yes, but, uh, you know, it's obviously a dream of mine to ride in the, in the biggest event in the world. And, um, you know, I finally, uh, finally cracked it. It was, um, you know, there's been a couple of years there where, you know, maybe maybe I sort of missed out on selection, you know, when I thought I was supposed to be going. But, uh, you know, that's that's cycling and that, that happens. And uh, I'm just happy now that, uh, you know, I can look forward and, and concentrate on the next sort of month. A new team... I mean, did that play a part? What, what perhaps was the reason for selection this time, do you think? I mean, I changed teams, obviously, because I was with Team Sky for two years and, and they were very British-orientated and um, obviously I didn't have a British passport, so was struggling there. And then, of course, they went very GC you know, with Bradley Wiggins there for one year and they didn't take any sprinters, um, which is my specialty. So that was another year that was um, sort of shot down the drain and... The hardest thing was just being told that you are going, you are going, and then at the last minute being told you're not going. That was, uh, you know, if, if they set out these goals from the start and you know didn't give you sort of false hopes, then it, it wouldn't be such a big deal. But it wasn't how it was handled. And uh, um, so yeah, I left uh, Team Sky and I hooked back up with a, a good friend of mine, Andre Greipel, and um, you know we've had a lot of success together in the past, and uh, again this season we've had a lot of success. So. We're hoping to take that on to the Tour de France. Have you sort of been um, leading him off the, the lead-out man or something, or how's that work? That's exactly right. You know, I'm uh, his last guide. Basically, I, I get the speed up super fast. Um, I position him. I make sure that he's you know protected from the wind for as long as possible. And uh, and you know, I, he does the last 200, 150 meters. Um, and uh, you know, with a bit of luck, he's the fastest there. That you know, there's three or four teams doing the same. Well, there's, you know, there's. 10 or 15 sprinters trying to do the same thing and uh, with a bit of luck if, with, with the proper teamwork um, hopefully we can come away with some more victories 
And there's plenty of opportunities for the sprinters on this uh, year's tour, is there? On this year's tour, on paper, there's seven. Um, two of those are like possibilities. Like, uh, you know, it may be a bunch, it may not be a bunch sprint or a breakaway. But, um, you know, once the sprinters' teams decide that, you know, OK, this is the day for the sprinters, then, you know, it, it, we control the race and uh, try and make, you know, every possibility of a bunch sprint. But, yeah, on paper, there's, there's seven, and, you know, normally it doesn't quite work out. Normally there's one or two missed opportunities. So, um, no, it looks it definitely looks beneficial. You've done the Voleta or something, have you, or the Tour de Spain? I mean, you've done, like, a big tour before, though. Yeah, yeah, I've won a stage and a grand tour before, and the Giro and then the uh, and the Volta Espana. So I've done, uh, yeah, four, four or five grand tours now. So um, just the Tour de France I've been, uh, I've been missing out on. So having done those, this is not going to be something completely new to you? It's hard, yeah, it's hard to describe because it's the Tour de France. It's, it's the... It's the highest you can go in cycling there's no higher you know it's um it's 21 days of the hardest bike racing in the world everybody peaks for this event um yeah it's like you ask anyone about cycling and they they only know you know they're not anyone that doesn't know anything about cycling only knows the tour de france so i mean i can't say what exactly what's going to be like i haven't done it before but you know i've obviously spoken to a lot of colleagues and uh you know they say it's something special they say it's something different that's for sure how does this? Uh, are you at all thinking about the London Olympics? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It'd be perfect, uh, perfect preparation. It's um, it's uh, you know three weeks from uh, of perfect training and, and racing, and and then a week later is the Olympic road race, which is a uh, which is a circuit that um, suits my attributes. So it's um, for sure it's a major goal of mine. I understand Bike and Z have sort of said those that ride the tour. Um, you know, are going to be in the forefront when it comes to a Olympic selection, and you're the only one so far. So your chances must be pretty good. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I'm sure they they know themselves as well. You know, it's a parkour, but it's a it's a circuit that suits certain riders. You know, I mean, if it was a mountainous, hilly um, circuit like Beijing four years ago, you, you wouldn't even bother sending me to a race like that because there's so many mountains. But you know, it's the chance this one's coming down to a bunch sprint, and, and that's my job. That's what I'm employed to do as a professional. Then you know, it, it, it does make sense to send a sprinter there. Um, but of course, I mean, if they name me as as going to the the uh, Olympics, then absolutely amazing. I'm absolutely stoked. But of course, you know, it's 21 days of racing also in uh, in France, and anything can happen in a bike race. I mean, I may do six, seven days of crash and break a collarbone or something. You know. It, so barring injury, barring sickness and all that sort of sort of carry on, I think I'll be in um, top physical condition for the for the London Olympics also. Yeah, there's only two New Zealand spots and, you know, uh, Hayden obviously, he didn't make the tour. Uh, uh, Julian's coming back from injury, Jack Bauer. I mean, there's a few contenders. It would be common sense, absolutely. Um, you know, this, but I mean, again, Hayden Ralston's a very talented bike rider and and uh, he'd be a very good selection, as would um, Jack Bauer, you know, because maybe maybe you have to look at another option of a breakaway sticking away and staying away to the end of the, of the race. And then, uh, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's up to the selectors, and, and um, I'm just going to, at this present time, I'm just going to focus all my energy on the Tour de France, um, doing my job correctly there, and, and um, you just wait for the New Zealand selectors to see what they say about the Olympics. So what about all those hills over the next uh, three weeks or so? Yeah, well, I mean, I've been to uh, been doing a lot of work in the mountains. Um, 
you know, I lived in the mountains there for a while, just at altitude as well. So it's, uh, you know, it's definitely a, a problem getting through the Pyrenees and getting through the Alps for the sprinters for sure. But, uh, you know, it's like everything you have to work at it. And, uh, and um, you know, I think at the moment, you know, my weight's coming down, which is, uh, you know, also important for us to, because if you, you know, carry an extra kg or two over the, over the mountains, that can um, cost you a lot of energy. So, you know, I'm, I'm in good nick at the moment. And uh, like I said, I'm... I've done some time, quite a lot of time in the mountains, so hang, we'll hang on and see how we go. That's Greg Henderson, who will be New Zealand's only Tour de France rider this year, and he was talking to Barry Guy. The leading New Zealand driver competing in this weekend's International Rally of New Zealand, Hayden Padden, is relishing competing in local conditions. Padden's in the second-tier Super 2000 class, where he's currently second on the Drivers' Championship. While he doesn't expect to challenge the likes of WRC Championship leader Francis Sebastian Loeb, he is determined to not only win the S2000 class, but also show up some of the other WRC drivers. There's nothing like being at home, and particularly on roads that we know, but also where we, we will get a lot of support. And probably been looking forward to this rally since it was last year, two years ago, so really looking forward to it. Does it actually make a difference being on local roads? Oh, definitely. Like, uh, I'm, I'm quite familiar with a lot of the roads, uh, the stages that we've done several times, and, and it does help you to go a lot faster when, you, when you've got confidence and knowing what's coming up, um, knowing the character of the roads, and, and, and just knowing the general nature and where you can push and, and where you maybe have to be a little bit careful. So it, it, it does make a big advantage. The roads that you are competing on, how many of them or, and how many times do you think you've driven over them in the past? Day one and, and day two stages, so uh, the ones up around Whangarei and, and the stages around Raglan, we've done sort of three or four times before. Um, the stages on day three are, are all new. Uh, they haven't been new since the 90s, so it's, it's all uh, even Stevens for day three, but um, you know a lot of the action and a lot of the time will be gained on the first two days, and, and that's where we've got some good experience. And how are you feeling the, the Skoda's going? Are you up to speed with it? I mean, where do you rate sort of just how you, it's going and how you're going with it? Oh, really good. We had a, a good test on Sunday with with the car. First time we've been in the car since Portugal, uh, which was a couple of months ago, and the car's feeling really good. Um, we've, we made some some good changes, um, both uh, development changes with learning the car, but also changes to, to suit the New Zealand conditions. And after that test, I'm, I'm certainly feeling much more comfortable. How different do you need to set the car up to to other rallies for for New Zealand? Yeah, a little bit different, not not dramatically. Like uh, the biggest difference here is just how smooth the roads are, and, and obviously there was no real sort of obstacles on the road, so we can lower the car a lot, and, and by doing that, we're getting a lot more stability into the car, and we can and soften up the spring rates a bit more to to try and get the traction. So there's a fine line. Um, normally, if one thing works, it works in combination with something else, and it's trying to find all those right combinations that's, uh, that can be tricky. Are you pleased with the way the season's going so far? I mean, what, you're second in the SWC class? Yeah, it's certainly been a challenging start to the year. Like, it's still early stages. We've only done two of our seven rallies, so a long way to go. Um, Sweden was a disappointment. And uh, Portugal, you know, we were very lucky. Uh, We retired early on in the rally with electrical problems, but were able to come back and, and climb back up the leaderboard, up the second. And then when the leader had problems, we were able to pick up the pieces from there. So... Not the way we wanted to get a win, but uh, nevertheless, we're still in a good place in the championship, and, and as I say, there's a long way to go. Has it been much different to what you anticipated, to moving up a, a class? Oh, it's probably actually been easier than I thought it might have been um, before we went into, this, uh, into the Super 2000 car. Uh, a lot of people said um, these cars, you had to 
be a lot more aggressive with uh, without the turbo, uh, without the electronic diffs. You sort of had to sort of man manhandle the car a bit more. And but to be honest, you know, I've got in the car and, and I haven't really changed my driving style much at all. I've, obviously, there's a few things you got to adapt to, but nevertheless, I've been able to drive the car the same as what I would any other car. And, and you know, there's a lot of things that this car can do better um, than cars have driven in the past. And it's just a matter of utilising those things and, and, and trying to get the best stage times. Oh, I imagine with different drivers, you, you've all got different styles. What, where, where do you fit on the spectrum of, of rally drivers? Oh, I've always tried to drive quite smooth. Um, a little bit like Sebastian Loeb, you know, he's obviously the master of rallying and uh, an absolute legend of the sport. And, you know, you'll see when you compare him to other drivers, he's, he's generally very straight and smooth and down the middle of the road. And, and that's where you can gain a lot of corner speed. If, if you're sliding, uh, then the, the energy of the car is going the wrong direction because you want to obviously be going forward. So I've always tried to drive the car quite straight. Um, and, you know, it is harder almost to do that than driving sideways and, you know, as a driver, I've still got a lot to learn and a lot to develop, but we're just going to keep working on it. Is Craig Breen competing in this rally? Uh, no, this is the the one round that Craig uh, elected to miss because uh, as part of the championship, you have to uh, miss one round. Uh, so we missed the first round of Monte Carlo, and Craig misses this rally. But uh, you know, unfortunately for Craig, he also had a, a very very bad accident uh, last week in a rally in Europe, and. Um, you know, a good friend of ours who we used to compete against, and and his co-driver uh, Gareth Roberts unfortunately died from the accident. So, you know, you know, our best wishes are, are certainly with Craig and Gareth and the rest of their family and friends. Right. So he is, does that mean he's out for the rest of the the season? Uh, it's a little bit of an unknown at this stage. Obviously, it's still very early, and uh, you know how they recover from the, from that sort of accident. You know, I'd, I'd hate to be in that sort of position, and and uh, it certainly will be hard. And um, you know, it'd be great to see Craig back at the next rally um, that he's uh, elected for, which is Finland. Um, but obviously, he's, uh, they've got some tough times ahead of them and, and a few decisions to make. What are you hoping for, for from this rally? Do you think you can get a, a top 10 overall? Is that the goal or higher? Oh, I think it's definitely realistic, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm, I'm targeting a top 10. Obviously, we want to try and win uh, SWRC as well. Um, the, the points are, are very important there, but you know we want to go out and drive as fast as we can and, and try and compete with some of the some of the world rally cars. And you know we're, we're slightly disadvantaged with the Super 2000 car on on the really fast parts. Our, our top end speed isn't so high, uh, so we have to try and make the most of the of the corners and the twistier parts and, and make up the time there. Are you contracted for, for just this season? Are you? What's the the story with Skoda for, for beyond You're... 2012? Yeah, well, for this year we we're obviously a private team, um, and we and we chose uh, to, to drive a Skoda with our, with the Spanish team. Um, and yes, it is on a one-year contract, and we we're lucky to get the support of, of Giltraps to support our move to drive a Skoda. And we are looking at building relationships with the with the Volkswagen Group, um, who are obviously coming into the World Rally Championship uh, with a World Rally car next year. So, you know, we are certainly looking at options for next year. Um, it, most probably won't be in a Skoda because they don't have a World Rally car. Uh, but, you know, it'd be great if we could stay within the Volkswagen group. So there is some hope that you might even move up another class next year? That is our plan, to, to be in a World Rally car next year. Um, so we are working very hard towards that. And it is going to mean of uh, having to probably try to find a bit of budget and uh, to try and put it all in place. And you would, what, still remain a private team, would you? I think for next year, yes. Uh, we, we do have to remain realistic that, you know, it's possibly... It's, too much of a, a steep learning curve to go straight into a factory seat next year. Um, you know, we still have to keep learning. We still are relatively the new boys on the block. So, um, you know, we need to get into a world rally car next year, get that experience and, and learn the car, uh, learn more rallies and, and try and be in a position uh, for 2014 to, 
to be able to go out and, and compete at the, right at the top. What does it cost to, to run a car in, in a competition like this? Uh, well, our budget this year is uh, around a million dollars, um, and this is a lot of money, and we are very fortunate. We have a lot of support in New Zealand that have helped us to get as far as what we have, but we still have quite a shortage of funding for this year that we are constantly working on, um, and we're also working on 2013 budgets. But in saying that, you know, there's a lot of money, but if we can get some good results over the next 18 months and, and get these budgets together, uh, then hopefully we'll be in a good position uh, in 2014, as I say, uh, to secure a seat, and, and then that's when uh, things can turn around and we can start repaying the people that have helped us. Oh, I imagine a million dollars most probably pales into insignificance when, when it's compared to what the factory teams are spending. Oh, exactly. You know, the, the factory teams at the very top level of the sport are, are spending tens of millions of, of pounds and euros. And, you know, we are doing things on, on a very small budget in relation to a lot of other teams. Um, we, we don't really have any budget for testing, um, so we're sort of doing things as we go, uh, which is certainly the hard way to do it. But, you know, I guess it's the whole Kiwi way. We, we make the most of every single dollar we got and, and make it go as far as we can. Do you think you're getting noticed, Tatum? Are other factory teams t- sitting up and, and taking notice of you? Oh, they certainly are. Like, uh, we, we know and we talk to all the team managers and we have our own driver manager, uh, Kimmy Vartanen, who's the son of uh, Ari Vartanen, who's uh, always knocking on the doors, telling them what we're doing. And, you know, so we certainly know that they're watching um, and we know that we have to, de- to deliver the results that we need. Um, and it takes more than one or two good results. It needs consistency, it needs speed, and, and we do need to get the experience. So we just have to keep doing what we're doing for now. When would your deadline be? in your own mind, as to, to when you want to be in a factory team and, and racing at the very top? Uh, well, my goal is, and, and the goal of the company uh, that's running us, is to try and be world champion by 2015. Uh, so that, that's something that we're working hard towards, and I think it's realistic. It is going to be a matter of getting the right breaks and, and, and uh, trying to get picked up, but um, you know that's what we're working towards is 2015. So there's a lot of, a lot of hard work to do between now and then, but we're working hard on it. And no doubt you're still enjoying it. Oh, of course. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing the sport if I didn't enjoy it. Um, at the end of the day, I just love to drive rally cars, and as soon as you get in there and put the helmet on and everything else, you know, nothing else in the world matters, and you're in your own zone, and and that's what I love is, is going sideways, going fast, and having fun. That's Geraldine and Super Two Thousand rally driver Hayden Patton, who's competing in this weekend's Rally of New Zealand. Queensland may have decided against rushing Auckland-born prop Sam Casiano into their state of origin side for the series decider, but the debate again raises the issue of international eligibility. Following the Palmerston North-born James Tamu's recent decision to play for Australia, Casiano is the latest New Zealand-born player to be caught up in the Trans-Tasman debate. New Zealand Rugby League's football manager Tony Kemp told Richard Wayne the debate simply isn't going to go away. This has been pure speculation but just some, some rumblings in and around Sam having played in Queensland before he went down to Sydney. So, you know, I think what you're getting now from the Origin coach four or five days out from selecting a side is just, you know, stating the fact that he hasn't spoken to Sam and, you know, what his selection policies are in and around Queensland. Um, that in no means detracts from the fact that they have spoken to Sam before about playing for Queensland. But as we've always stated, you know, um, Sam has said that he wants to play for New Zealand. Um, so it's really important that we continue to communicate with him and, and let him know how close he is to the Kiwi side. Have you communicated with Sam Cassiano lately to see where he's at and, and whether he's, you know, having his head turned by all this talk? Yeah, yes, we have. You know, one of the the important factors is to make sure that, 
you know, letting our, you know, we're letting our, our high-performing athletes know that uh, they're not far away from Kiwi selection. And, and we have spoken to Sam just recently in and around Origin time. And, you know, it's, Sam has been contacted through the Origin period about his, his availability to play Origin. So, you know, he's he, he's got some decisions to make. Um, the documents that he signed in no way binding, or legally binding, but, you know, um, for us, it doesn't help when, um, you know, we've got a New Zealander to say that he wants to play for his country and then you've got Origin, whether they're in the Mel Meningas or the Queensland or New South Wales uh, fraternity saying that they want you know, our players to play for them. So it's a little bit murky, mate, and I, and I can only sympathise with Sam and how confusing it must be for him. Surely this is the role of the ARLC to clear this sort of thing up because it's undermining the international game, isn't it? Oh, that, and that's correct. You know, at the end of the day, it, it, for me, there's a couple of things here. It's quite simple. Either you change your name and you, you make it an all-stars game uh, and allow the players to come back and represent their country. I'm pretty sure that the likes of Benji Marshall and Sam Burgess would like to play in the state of origin as well. But, you know, one's English and one's Kiwi. But the second, the second thing is it detracts from the international game. It sort of holds it in disregard. And, and we should always remember that the international game is the pinnacle and should remain the pinnacle. I suppose it doesn't help either the, the amount of cash getting flashed around. I understand it's about 10 times as much or even more as you get playing Origin as you do for a, a Kiwis test match. I mean, surely if there was a level playing field in terms of finances, this issue wouldn't even begin to crop up. Yeah, the first, the first thing here, it's not 10 times. It's $20,000 this year. Um, you've got to remember that half of that goes into a retirement fund, So, and, and then half of the 10000 gets taxed. So, you know, out of an origin game, they'll be lucky to make $6,000. So, you know, at the Kiwi games, they get, um, you know, half of that. But it is a commercial benefit to players. We have, we have to be realistic here that the modern-day player um, not only looks at who they can represent, but also the accolades in and around rep football and also the, the commercial well-being and the wealth creation that something like an Origin can, can support them with. So it's an ongoing um, issue for us, uh, especially if uh, the new broadcasting rights come through and they move it to $50,000 per game. I think uh, then we're really going to have some kids make some tough decisions on whether or not international football is a benefit uh, one way or the other. So there's a, a, a lot of water to go under the bridge, but currently there's a lot more to it than I think people realise. You know, you've got player managers involved, you've got, you know, kids you know, not knowing where they should align themselves to or which country they should align themselves to. And of course, you know, at the end of the day, it's about making putting your hand up and making sure that you, you want to do the right thing and play for your country. And, and that's what we're about here at the NZRL. You know, we want kids to, to, to commit and make sure that they, can, they, they commit strong, just like Benji Marshall did, um, who could have played Origin hands down, but he knew he's a Kiwi and, and he's a proud Kiwi at that. Is Jim Doyle over there discussing this, these sort of issues at the moment? I understand he's in Australia. Uh, Jim's over in Australia. Uh, I'm sure that he'll be having discussions in and around. You know, this is not just the New Zealand media, it's an Australian media as well. But, you know, it's not his number one priority uh, over there. We've, we've been working with the NRL for near three years now on a, on a number of uh, areas that, that can support our game. And uh, I just think, you know, it's, it's topical at the moment and I'm pretty sure he will be uh, having some conversations with the right people over there. That's Tony Kemp from New Zealand Rugby League talking to Richard Wayne. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. The Silver Ferns netball coach Waitamanu's decided against appointing a permanent assistant, opting instead to give four trans-Tasman franchise coaches time in the role. The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic's Nolene Tauroa 
The Northern Mystics coach Deb Fuller and her assistant Gail Parata and the Southern Steel's Janine Southby will all fill the role over this year. Tamanu believes the approach will give the coaches a better understanding of the Silver Ferns international programme. That decision's only for this year. It's certainly my intent to have a um, permanent placement by this time next year going into the international 2013 international programme. Um, and the idea this year is to um, build some understanding on the part of the franchises about what the international demands are upon their players when they leave their franchise programme. And maybe gives you an opportunity to see who you can work best with? Perhaps, but um, I've been really impressed with all of the coaching. I've been visiting the franchises over the last five months and been really impressed with what I've seen. So I've learned a lot about the franchise environment and this is really about learning about the international programme. Do you know all of them pretty well or do you need to get to know one or two of them better? Uh, I know all of them pretty well. Um, I coached all of them at one point in my my longer career than theirs. <laughs> so you know what know what you're getting? Um, I think so, although you know I haven't um, coached with Debbie or Janine yet, but I have certainly visited the franchises. I've, I've spoken with them um, during the franchise season. Um, so yes, I'm, I'm very confident and have been really impressed with the coaching I've seen going on. So really um, keen to work with all of them. So when did you form this approach for, for this year, or did you initially in, intend to appoint an assistant? No, no. Um, one of the first things I did after I was appointed was sat down and wrote out a four-year plan. Um, and this was an idea I wanted to um, run past the franchise coaches, which I then did uh, in December last year. I think that was the franchise coach meeting. So it was um, floated to them. They um, have been very supportive of it, um, and even those who are not part of this um, group of four at this time. Um, and it is about improving their understanding of where their players go and what the demands are on them when they leave the franchise programme. Do you think there's maybe not enough realisation as to, to what's involved in that step up? It's not so much the step up, but I, I think it's ensuring that the players have an understanding of on the part of both sets of coaches. So they go into an international programme. It's important that I understand what their franchise commitments are like and, and vice versa for these franchise coaches. So how would you see this... I mean, helping. I mean, is there anything in particular or an area in particular that you would like to see these coaches come in and, and see what goes on so that presumably you can get some kind of a, a better relationship between that franchise and the Silver Ferns? I think the most obvious is the lack of recovery time that the Silver Ferns have. So a test series, you know, the international programme is very condensed. I know the ANZ programme is very intense, but it is one game a week. That's not something that we enjoy. And in terms of the pinnacle events, will often play our entire tournament in the, in the space of you know, a two-week period. So it's that intensity, the need to recover, um, and the need to refocus on the next game. What stage do you then intend to appoint an assistant next year? I mean, About how... this time next year, I would expect to have a, a, a permanent placement um, in that role. What, what are your thoughts on how things are panning out in the Trans-Tasman competition to, to this point? Well, I'm delighted there's two New Zealand teams in the top four again. Um, clearly on the part of the Mystics, a bit disappointed that um, the Magic coming in was sl- somewhat at their expense in terms of their placement on that table. Um, but it was a great game, the Mystics Magic game, and I was really pleased with um, the skills that were on show. Do you notice or seen a steady improvement over the season? Certainly. I think the Magic had a shaky start and they have improved um, with each game. And, um, you know, you have to be impressed with how they've approached the remainder of the season because they originally got themselves off to such a bad start that they have to win every game going forward. And they have made themselves do that, and, and that is impressive. Um, in terms of the Mystics, I think that they've had some outstanding um, games. And when they won the game in Australia, I, I was really impressed. 
What about the Australian teams? I think the competition has been very even um, this year. And, you know, I think Australian teams have shown that um, on any given day, any one of those teams can knock each other out. Um, and similarly over here. So, uh, you know, it's been an interesting competition and I think much tighter than perhaps we might have thought it would have been going forward. Um, when you look at the Swift sitting just below the top four and they, they lost to the tactics early on, I think every game is really important, and I think that's one of the things that one of the learnings from this competition that you can't start on a on a low note and expect to build. It becomes very difficult. You make your life very difficult in rounds twelve and thirteen. And Nolene Tauroa will be Waitamanu's assistant for the Silver Ferns three test series against Australia for the Constellation Cup in September. The Wellington Phoenix has signed the Solomon Islands striker Benjamin Tatori for the next A League football season. Tatori scored three times in two games against New Zealand at the recent Oceania Nations Cup, convincing the All-Whites and Phoenix coach Ricky Herbert to sign him up for the Wellington-based A-League club. Tatori scored 15 goals and 17 appearances for the Solomon Islands, and he's also already played in New Zealand for Manawatu and Waitakere United. He signed a one-year deal with the Phoenix, with an option for a second year. The 26-year-old Tory told Richard Wayne how he'd been hoping to impress Herbert at the Oceania Nations Cup. Before the game, I thought to myself, like, oh, the New Zealand is coached by the Wellington Phoenix coach, so if I did well in this game, I might have a chance, like, because he's there looking at me playing, so if I perform well, then, like, he's going to, like, interested in me, and maybe maybe he's going to sign me. Who knows, like, in football, anything can happen. So that's what in my mind before the game. And you you were such a standout in that in that game. I mean that, that top top corner goal of yours that was top notch, wasn't yes. it? So you would have been pretty happy uh, coming off the field in that game. Uh, yep, yep. Uh, for me, like after the game, I said, "Oh, I think I've done it." I think. So when I come out, like I saw Ricky was standing there, and then he he called me and he, and he said, "Oh, um, I'm happy with with your performance today," and. Uh, I'm interested with you. I think I'm gonna 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 get you to the finish. And we'll talk later. That's what he said to me. You would have heard of the Phoenix, of course, uh, when you were playing for Waitakere. Do you follow their games in the A League? Oh, uh, yep. Um, every time I, I watch them play, while I was playing for Waitakere uh, in in Auckland, like every game, every weekend, I I, I watch. I can't miss all the games. Like. And here too in the in the Solomons, I've I've watched the game too. This is a full time professional contract, of course, Benjamin. Is it um, a step up from your contract at Kalali? Uh yeah, for me, like it was just like unbelievable, you know. Like I was I was very happy, like because it's it, it's a next step for me, like playing in the NGFC, like previous NGFCs, like it's it's just like. Uh, now playing for Wellington, uh, signing for the Phoenix, and and of and also the Phoenix have done good too in the in the A League, like they in the top four all the time, and and they're a good team, class team, and for me to sign up with them, like I was like it was just a good feeling for me, and it was just great, and I couldn't believe it. It's probably quite good for Solomon's too to see one of their star players yourself on the A-League stage in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, that's true. Like, here, like, the news and everything, like, everyone just, I think, yeah, everyone just, like, happy and, yeah, 
but for me, like at the end, like I really want to play for a league team too. So a performance, and I I said Nations Cup is gonna give me a chance to do that. So yeah, I work hard for that Nations Cup, train hard, and uh, yep, and I get it. So I'm grateful. And Benjamin Tatori's signing brings to 17 the number of players contracted to the Phoenix, with the club expecting to sign another three or four players before the season begins. And that brings us to the end of the programme for another week. If you wish to contact us here at Extra Time, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.